0: Listening to White Lion Fever, where rock and roll is still alive like it always has been and
1: it always will be.
2: Welcome to White Line Fever. My name is Steve Mascord. This is the start of this show, but it is the third part of our interview with Gary Mote uh, here from um, Burnout Rec. I want to thank him for his time. Uh, welcome back, uh, Gary. I just... um I do, now there's a movie out at the moment about Eurovision, and everyone's talking about it. I haven't seen it, but um, you guys have some history. <laughs> you have some history with Eurovision. Um, can you <laughs> can you talk us through it a little bit? Well, tell tell the listeners the story. The <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, well,
3: I mean, it's, you know, Eurovision, it, it's very simple, you know, it's like um, when you get all this money from record companies in the 80s and uh, you're not selling mega, shifting mega units, like, you know, because you haven't had any really big hit singles, um, you know, it's not as if they were like Bon Jovi or something, you know, (laughs) every song was a a, 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 a big hit single you know and we didn't co-write with anybody and that's what bon jovi did yep. you know um that was why they, they had so many hits at the time you know using the the top people so come eurovision you know the record company we'd been there done the three albums and we were in the middle of at the end of doing my third album the big bang and uh they decided that you could go on eurovision because you know, they're, they're opening that up to rock bands now and uh, they thought, you know, if you can get on there, uh, you'll be out there and promote one song and hopefully it'll sell thousands of copies because you're played to millions of people in Eurovision mm-hmm. right across Europe, you know, it's just... And so that was the idea behind it, yeah. Obviously, you know, at the time, a lot of people thought we were off us. Had really doing and
2: doing it, you know, and, and we and we got slated for it, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah. It just you, I just wonder, mate. Um, like now, when you play these gigs and you go to Hard Rock Hell and stuff, and um, you know, on one hand, you think of yourself as a working musician, and you know, and 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 rock is not in the mainstream anymore. But on the other hand you know you have we have people come up to you and say amazing things i mean I remember your album covers like like I remember Bon Jovi and you know the 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 band was named after a album by u f o but i i saw your album cover before i saw u f o you know what i mean so how yeah. how do you sort of um how do you reconcile it mate do you feel does is is it still quite magic for you that you had such an impact on a lot of people's uh, lives and 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 uh, or or is it kind of like it's just a job? It's fun. It's a job. You're a working musician and you kind of over all that stuff. How do you kind of uh, process it? Oh, I mean, these days, but back in the day, in the
3: eighties, it was great. You had people you're on the edge, running up to you and saying, hey, "How to sell a bit the band and. You were that drunk at the time, it didn't really make any difference to you. You <laughs> you just laughed along with them and had a good time, you know, and uh, you appreciated the comments. But now that I'm out there doing it and people talk to me. I mean, we talk to everybody, we get involved with the, the crowd after the gig and stuff, there's no hiding away or anything and acting like rock stars. This is the real world we live in, you know. Yeah. And we get involved and uh when people say to me about the past now, you know. I mean, I just—it really makes me very emotional, you know. And it's—it's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's, it's just great to hear what they're saying, and you just think, i, I don't actually. I have never viewed myself as, as being, you know, some sort of rock star-y kind of figure to people, but obviously we must have been heavy petting must have been you know and I never really think about that I never thought about that back in the day you know Mm -hmm. but um, yeah and I get it all the time it's like uh, uh, you know drummers you know oh man <laughs> you look <laughs> you were that and I'm like was it? <laughs> I, I thought I was fluffing it at the time you know it's taking me all my time just to play some drum drums, you, know, play. you know and they're thinking it was the best thing they've heard and, and you know and, and it's just great and people talking about the songs and what it meant to them you know and it, it's it's great you know but um
2: you must miss that interaction yeah. now, like, like you know, the lockdown and COVID-19, it must be a, you know, just all the people and the dark rooms and the beer and the lights and the, yeah.
3: We we live to play live, you know, I, I, you know, I love getting out of there standing on the front of the stage and screaming my tits off, you know, and... Uh, you know, everybody's just looking at uh, you just thinking, what's he on, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, actually, I'm on nothing because I'm sober because I drive the van, you know? <laughs> 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 you know, uh, and so I, I, I don't even believe myself that I'm out there doing that sober, you know, because i never played drums <laughs> sober in my life, you know? <laughs> 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 to be up a sudden, you know, it's terrible, it's terrible, it's <laughs> terrible.
2: Mate, that's a great way to finish the interview. I really appreciate your time. Uh, just, uh, just one more song, Gary. What can we play? Can you play Swallow from The first Bomb? I can <laughs> bit of our interview uh here with donny v and want to thank him for his time um this is the fun bit because this is where the the readers and the fans submitted questions on facebook okay so so uh chris lachlan says a new thing is um a belter of a song good aussie word there a belter
1: um or actually an english word as well um do you um do you ever get bored of singing it? oh never no i I sing it in my spare time all the time. I'll just sit around, pick up the guitar and start singing new things. <laughs> Thanks, Chris, by the way. It is a, it was, it is a pretty cool song. And uh, I remember how it, 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 uh, it struck me the first time I heard it finished and or the first time that the idea came to my head for the song. And I remember how cool that was. It was like, holy shit, this is really cool. You know, but it's it's a long time ago, and I've written so many more since then that are that are really cool and that I haven't sang uh, 150,000 times. You know what I mean?
2: <clears throat> wow. Um, next question is but from David, David Chris. Next question. I think it's a cool song too. David Donaldson says, "How did you guys hook up with Derek and Vic? Did Gino bail, and you had to find a replacement?"
1: Um, it's it was through a. a early management that we had, uh, that was a bad experience, but through that is where Derek came in. Um, Vic, it was just, uh, trial and error with different guys coming in the revolving door until, until one stuck and he stuck, you know, he's very professional and, and had the look and did his job very well. And, and, uh, that's kind of what we were, once Derek was in, that's kind of what we were looking for. You know what I mean? And, um, that's, and that's how I came into it. You know, it's kind of like it sort of found myself in that position where there was my guitar player and my drummer. I really, it's not that I went out and seeked those guys out. It's just the way that things worked out. And that, that, that just became my drummer and uh, and guitar player. Fantastic. And Renee Scrogan says, do you
2: favor piano or guitar?
1: You just broke up. Do I favor playing the piano or the guitar? Yeah, yeah. I, I can't. That's a question. Actually, neither, because I suck on both. <laughs> I suck on both. Good <laughs> that's a good answer. Okay, Zark I'm good says- at playing the fool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Zach says, "Any plans to tour Australia?" That's one of my uh, my one of my wishes. I want to come there. I've never been to Australia yet, and I'd really like to come and. And I've had some amazing fans from Australia, and they keep in touch. and um, And it's a beautiful place, and I've always really wanted to go there and do it. And we talked about it last year, but then the pandemic hit, and so I don't know. It's just like everything else, it's up in the air, you know. But I would love to come. Um, Jay says, "Is the
2: guitar um, uh, that you're playing in right by my right by your side the same one Diana just got back for you?"
1: I, I do believe I had Derek playing it for Right By Your Side in the video. It, yeah, it was it's the same one, but same I had one. him play it because I didn't want to see any more of these Kramer, Kramer cock rock guitars and shit in my in my <laughs> videos, you know. So I said, here, play the Les Paul. This looks cool. This looks <laughs> cool. It makes you look cool. You know what I mean? And, uh, and it did. But, yeah, it's the same one. Last question from Ben Fogarty. Um, he wanted to talk about the magic in the studio
2: during the recording of the album Strength. What was it like in the studio? Was there anything special? And he's also curious about your thoughts on Oasis, given the kind of things that the two bands had in common. They're different as well, but they had things in common. So
1: there are two questions in one, and that's it. Oasis. I, I love Oasis. I, I love Oasis. I think they're fantastic. I love the guy's voice, the songs, everything. He's, he's, they, what they do... Or did is write down right down the strike zone of the kind of shit that I like and grew up liking? So uh, yeah, they're fantastic. And um, what was the other part of that question? He said he thought that he
2: on on the album Strength. He said he heard magic. He wanted he wanted to take him inside
1: the studio. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the most magical thing about it is we were we finally uh, were out of our hometown and we made that record out in LA and all of the craziness. And at that time we were pretty special things. So there was a lot of uh, a lot of debauchery and a lot of fun going on around us while making that record. And, and we also, we had a, I had a chance to work with a really good producer, Paul Lanny And uh, we got to really sit there and explore the songs more which is really appeals to me than just than just plugging in with a couple of guitars, you know, and uh, banging out another version of the first record. I liked that, taking it to the next, to the next level. And um, and there was a lot of magical things in there. I played, I played instruments I've never even seen before in that thing. And uh, a lot of people still tell me that, you know, how great they think that record is. But uh, every time I go into the studio, something it's I I see things that. I witnessed things that, that are as closest thing to magic as, I'd, as you ever could imagine, the way certain things just all of a sudden click and gel and it's like, wow, it's like abracadabra, you know, that's just that right one thing or this right thing just m- completed it and all of a sudden it just, it took form, you know, what I mean, and, uh, you know, because all these songs, they don't start out like that, they start out as an idea. And when they finally, and you record it, and you record it, and you record it, and you're playing the instruments and this and that, and you're like, it's work. All of a sudden, one something will hit, something will trigger, and, and bam-o, there it is. It's like, oh, man, that's so great. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, we've kept you for quite
2: a while there, Donnie, and I really appreciate your time, and thanks for putting up with the uh, technical problems. I just wanted to, uh, last year was pretty terrible for everybody, um, I guess, but it sounds like for you it was... There were, there were some
1: positives out of the last 12 months. Is that right? Yeah. Last year was, as far as I'm concerned, was great. <laughs> I hate to say that though, but it didn't really a damper on anything, uh, <clears throat> damper on anything that I was doing. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm a homebody. I love to just be recording and writing and, uh, doing like normal things now that I've never got a chance to do, you know, like being part of a family and, uh, the best that i'm able i'm capable of being and um and uh so it really didn't affect affect my lifestyle if, if anything it brought people closer together as far as i was concerned in my life you know yeah and is it so what's next i'm not uh, the biggest fan of play, of, uh, of touring anyway <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. so read, so great um what um what's the next big thing for you donnie like what is well, what, what, what would you like people to know, to, to, to know about if there's If there's one thing you'd like people to be aware of, um,
1: what is it? This, this next song and video, uh, I really was, I'd like to, a, a lot of aware. I believe that it, if <clears throat> enough people hear it, I believe that this one has a chance to do something and, uh, be a game changer, um, or not. You know I mean? I've, Hope is a dangerous thing, you know what I mean? When you have hope, you know, the flip side of hope is shattered dreams. So I'm cautious about hoping for anything or any expectations, but uh, that's what I would like to happen. I just, I don't really ask for much in the world. I don't want to be rich and famous. I don't want, I like to make things paint pretty colors across the sky that people can listen to and give people something to enjoy. And that makes, that gives me enjoyment. And um, this would maybe give me me an opportunity to reach more people through that song. We'd listen to other stuff that I did and realize that, you know, there's, there's something there for them.
2: Yeah. Well, I think everyone watching, um, you know, believes that you deserve that audience and you you deserve that exposure. Um, So let's, let's hope the strategy's right. And it reaches uh, as many ears
1: as possible. Um, We'll finish up with uh, for the listeners and um, one more song. I don't, I don't know if I, I don't know if, I don't know if I deserve it, I do know the songs deserve it
2: <laughs> yeah yeah
1: how how do they come to you? One new song
2: How does a new song come to you yeah many different ways, or is it one way
1: The simplest way to say that is God beams it into my head, and then it's time to go to work it's there's many most of them are not inspired by they're inspired by this. that's presented to me in my head when I hear it I know it's I know this is the next thing I'm supposed to be doing and it's a it's just a relationship I've had with with God or whatever is out there that that works with me or through me Um, for so many years I don't even uh, I don't think twice about it anymore I know okay I get the message and I get to work and um, you know it just gets a little more difficult as after all these songs and years to keep trying to find some way to, uh, to make it new, make something new, newer than what I've done before, you know, because you get bored with all of that, you know, doing the same old thing, you know, same, another great song, another great song, another great song. It just, it, you know, I mean, it's it's like the best pizza in the world, you know, after enough slices, (laughs) you know, it's like, okay, I've had enough of that. You know, try something else, you know? And so, um, but it, there's never any question that, of how this works with me. It's hard for people to understand, but it is the case. Something, something is working through me. Did you ever worry that it had dried up, that it stopped?
2: Were you ever worried about that? It had,
1: it It had for a couple of years. Uh, I, I just drained myself and beat myself up and just life had beaten me up so badly that uh, that like that, that whole frame of spirituality and stuff just disappeared out of my life and it just became dark and ugly and, um, and lonely. And, uh, and then, you know, I did a lot of praying and, and, uh, you know, a few, uh, few circumstances, uh, came to, came to be that put me in a position of where I was on the right track to, uh, fixing a lot of those things. And, um, and throughout that time where I had to just focus on nothing but, but my physical aspects, my health, my mental health, things like that. Not one song idea came to me, nothing. I hadn't out in here. And then uh, when, it, when I got to the point where I felt alive again, I felt better and I felt like, okay, now what? You know, uh, are we gonna do this again? And instantly my, my, my question was answered and uh, the Beautiful Things record just came pounding at me one after another, all those songs and uh, got to work.
2: Fantastic story, fantastic story. What song can we finish up with for the listeners there, Donny?
1: I guess I could save the world. Let's go with that one. We used to have Led Zeppelin, Stones and Beatles
4: Hooking up with girlfriends face to face my country back
1: listening to White Line Fever with my favourite host, Steve. Welcome
2: back. And we've got a fellow who uh, has been on the show once before. Um, I won't bore him by trying to remind him when it was, but um, they've got a new album out coming out soon called uh, All, the, All the Right Noises at the End of the Month. From Thunder, please welcome Luke Morley. Hello, Luke. How are you, mate?
5: I'm fine, Steve. Considering that this ungodly hour, I don't feel too bad. No, we're good. I'm good.
2: <laughs> that's good, that's good. Now, mate, um, I, I'm sure you do quite a lot of uh, interviews uh, where, um, you know, the person asking you the question pretends to have heard the record and they've actually not listened to it all. And I think I've been guilty of that myself in the past. But that, I'm not guilty of it um, at all on this occasion, so much so I'm I'm actually obsessed with some of the songs and some of the themes. It's, it's one of the most topical records, maybe the most topical record the band's, you know, ever done. Um, I won't start with Last One Out because... Um, that's one of the few songs we can play at this juncture, so I'll ask you about that last. But I'm, I'm really fascinated with the the, um, the the song Young Man and I found myself asking myself if I would trade, um, uh, you know, uh, um, part of my life <laughs> to have to live through what kids are living through now. And the the argument here is that you wouldn't, that you wouldn't go back if you could. Um, that's a big call. Um, can you can you just talk about that song and about the, well, the the feelings behind it?
5: You know. Sure. Yeah, I mean, really, I suppose it's kind of like um, it's like the opposite of my generation. Hope I die before I get old, isn't it? It's. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's it's if you look at the world how it is now and how difficult it is for young people. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, you could make mistakes. You could you you know you could get things wrong. You could get drunk. You could do silly stuff and and. Uh, get yourself into a little bit of trouble and, you know, you'd make mistakes and you'd learn and you move on now because we live in the age of the camera phone and the iPad, everything you do is recorded and witnessed and five minutes later, it's up there on the web. So, you know, the, the kind of, the the degree to which young people have to watch themselves now um, and think about all their actions. um, Oh, it's, it's fairly scary. Um, And I'm glad that, you know, I mean, particularly being in a band, my God, I mean, some of the shenanigans we got up to in our early days. I mean, me, if there'd have been camera phones, we'd all be in court now, properly. But um, yeah, yeah, you know, I think that it's just uh, there's a lot of pressure on young people now to look perfect, to you know, to be kind of um, to externalise everything emotionally, and and yeah, I don't think that's particularly necessarily healthy. So, and I guess the other point the song's making is, uh, you know, I grew up in in the, uh, I was born in '60, so. In the 70s when i was a teenager there was so much fantastic music uh, uh, and there was a kind of innocence and a lack of awareness about you know the world as a global thing but now it's all it's all on you if you're young um i mean there are, the pluses, you know the, the stuff well before covid travel and stuff all those things are easier but um just in terms of your privacy and your ability to develop as an individual i think you know the world is very invasive now and that must be hard for young people sometimes
2: yeah but still, like it's terrible now. I'm the same as you, as far as I'd hate to live in the Instagram, you know, um, um, era. But still, if you said, "Here's an extra thirty years," <laughs> you know what I mean? I might be willing. <laughs> I might be willing to trade. I might be willing to trade. You know, so. Yeah, I hear here, But it's <laughs> about
5: it's about quali- it's about quality of the life, though, isn't it? I mean, if, yeah. if, if your life is it is great and fun and you're enjoying every day and brilliant but if you're not and you're miserable you know I mean,
2: yeah yeah uh, yeah 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 um the, and the, i'm also obviously interested in st. Uh, st George. i mean that is a huge topic right you could talk about that for 15 minutes alone oh, or more. Sure, yeah, yeah. but 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 i'm also interested in um in in st george's day as well because you know it's an anti-brexit song really isn't it i mean um and this was not written in COVID times, the album that people probably aren't aware is written pre-COVID and post-Brexit. Um, I'll, I'll ask you just about that, about St George's Day and the sentiment behind it, and then i will probably got a follow up questions
5: to that. Well, St George's Day really is, uh, it's about what it means to be English in the 21st century. Um, and, you know, we're an island race um, and there's always that kind of underlying thing that, you know, if thing, things you know go wrong, we can pull up the drawbridge and carry on. But um, we live in a global world. That's not possible now. Uh, it's really, really not possible. I mean, COVID. It's the interesting thing about COVID is it's made us question border control, but for different reasons. Um, prior to COVID, it was like you know there was there's a kind of under unhealthy kind of undercurrent in the UK of well the immigrants are coming here and stealing all our jobs. Um, which is just patently is not true and it's sort of you know right wing dogma and, and i'm i'm not a fan of that i think that um you know if we've learned anything or you know in the world it's just you've got to embrace it you've got to you got to kind of reach out to people and you've got to connect with people rather than being suspicious and wary you know i mean there's always going to be bad people everywhere there's bad people in england there's bad people in australia there's bad people everywhere in the world <laughs> yeah. but it doesn't it's not an excuse to kind of pull up the you know, pull up the drawbridge um, and and blame everything on on people who are different to you. You know, I mean, in the UK, this is the great ludicrousness of, of of this point of view of the kind of you know the extreme right wing thing is that most of England now is built on immigrants. I think mean, you know it really is. You know, all of the kind of really important jobs, healthcare, you know, after COVID and all of this stuff, these are people that have all come from other countries. So. To kind of suddenly blame them for everything seems a bit wrong to me. And um, in the the song uses the you know the St George's flag as a kind of metaphor, really, because uh, that's been misappropriated by football hooligans. Once again, more extreme right wing kind of groups. And it's something that I, I feel very strongly about. You know, we, we're supposed to be an open and civilized country, and that's what I would like us to be.
2: There is that line, and I'm, I read your only lyrics back to you without any notes, and I only listened to it last night. But it's it. Um... We all, uh, we all. if you go back far enough, we all came from another place, uh, draw a line in the sand, cut off your nose to spite your face. But um, the interesting thing is that I'm guessing that it's same as many musicians have found um, in the last uh, few years is that the, the, the alienating part of, their fa- part of their fan base is the very people they're criticising in their arts. And I guess it's the same for people who are painters or writers or whatever, yeah. you know. Um, how do you confront that... Um,
5: reality well there's not much i can do about it um i mean i think people are always going to have opinions and uh, you know you you know my job isn't to sort of um you know try and change people's minds just to say i think part of the creative thing is when you're writing whether it's music film books whatever it is is to say hey you know you can't you're not convincing if you don't say what you mean Mm -hmm. you know and uh you have to kind of sometimes wear your heart on your sleeve. And, you know, when you get to my age, when you get to 60 and you're, you know, and you're in a rock and roll band, you know, I've written all the songs about chasing girls I can manage. <laughs> so, you know, and that's not what concerns me. I'm married, you know. Other yeah, I not concerns me now. And, I, and I, I'm, I'm going to write about them. And some people might not agree, but unfortunately there's nothing I'll do about that.
2: Okay, so as I, as I said to you, Luke, the one song we can play now because it's out is, is Last One Out. Um, yeah. So... That was a kind of, again, an anti Brexit song. But if I didn't know it was written before COVID, I I would say it was addressing the government's, what is, you know, you obviously believe is bungled. Well, if I thought that you'd just written it, I would say that you believe they've bungled COVID and you've written a song about that. Um, So, in introducing the song, can you discuss it a a little bit and tell us what its origins are?
5: Yeah. I mean, last one is really, last one out is is really, it's about. it's about the way the government handled the whole Brexit thing um, and the lying, the cronyism, well, basically the corrupt way they went about trying to kind of convince people it was the right thing to do. Um, And also there was lots of, playing on what I was just talking about in the last night. Last there there's lots of stirring up about, you know, or if we stay in the EU, there's going to be 8 million Turkish immigrants coming next month. Against, you know, all of that stuff was going on. So we were basically being lied to and manipulated. Um, and, um, you know, some people in the government are extremely dishonest. I'm sure there's good people in there somewhere. Um, but the messages that were coming out were extremely... They were trying to worry people. It's the same old thing. You know, keep people scared, keep them afraid, and you can get them to do what you want. And there's a lot of that going on with Brexit. Um, and to me, you know, we spent 50 years as part of Europe. You know, and all, during that 50 years, you know, we're tweaking the rules, to kind of, you know, lots of negotiation going on, and, and you know, kind of adapting as we go and finding out new stuff. And to suddenly come along with just a, a razor blade and cut that off without any kind of subtlety of negotiation, or just seems ludicrous to me. It set us back 50 years. Um, you know, the thing about not being able to cross borders in Europe and uh, for musicians, it's a bad thing. Every way you look at it, it's it's awful. So, um, and the song is basically uh, me saying, you know, if, if it gets much worse, I'm off. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, plenty of people who voted for it have, have then now decided they're going to go live in Spain or
5: it's just ridiculous. Uh, the, the ludicrous, I mean, there were people, <laughs> British expats living in Spain who voted for it. What, <laughs>
2: To the program, uh, makes no sense to those of you who are watching, but for those listening it does. Uh, Joel Hoekstra uh, is back from Whitesnake and other uh, projects as well and um, he's got a, a new album um, by the time you hear this uh, it'll be out called, called Running Games. Joel, how would you describe the difference between the first and second um, 13 albums?
6: Uh... I would say that it's just a little more focused this time around dying to live was something that i kind of learned what it was going to be as i was writing it <laughs> so it started out really heavy and then it ended up being something that i signed with frontiers and you know i it just kind of gravitated towards the more melodic thing as as i went so um this time around i pretty much had defined i think the core sound of it so i uh, just a little bit more focused
2: yeah, yeah, and, and for those who don't know, it's, a, it's an all-star um, band. You know, you've got, you've got uh, Russell Allen, Tony Franklin, Vinnie Apercy, uh, Derek Sherinian. Um, Joel, hey, I think I kind of might have asked you this last time a little bit, but, but now it's, it's more, a, I guess even a few years later, it's become more of a more commonplace and more of a set template for people playing on each other's albums. It's like what everyone's doing. Now, you know, like you've got George Lynch who's in so many fans and and guys like that. So for those of us outside the industry, how does the template work? Like how do you actually approach? I know these guys played on your first album, so you've got a personal relationship, but how does it actually work? I guess from a business sense, without talking dollars, how does it work when you want someone to play on your record or when someone like Michael Sweet wants you to play on their record. Is every situation different or, or are there procedures that everyone goes through now and conventions that everyone goes through?
6: Oh, I mean, you pretty much send somebody an email or text and say, Hey, you up for this. What's your schedule looking like? That type of stuff. And are you free to do it? And so thankfully the whole lineup came back for this one. Uh, and this is obviously my thing. So, uh that that's the way it works i asked i ask if they'll be willing to play on mine and in the case of michael sweet asking me to play on his he's contacting me so <laughs> and then you usually just send a, a stereo mix of a track more than a full session typically you'll just get like a here's the state of the track right now and you lay down your tracks and make sure that they're in pro tools you do it so they're consolidated to the same length so you send them and they drop right into the person's session and and there you go that's that's pretty much the way it works that's the reader's digest version
2: <laughs> because it's refreshing to actually hear that it still works person to person i mean you know back in the day when people had these restrictive record contracts like the guys on fastway who formed the band fastway couldn't play on their own record because they had you know because they had contracts with other record companies and they couldn't get out of them and they weren't allowed to perform on other people's uh um um records so it, it's it's good to hear that it's not that restrictive anymore i guess the record that's a, maybe one of the few positives of the the industry becoming um not as all powerful as it used to be
6: yeah i guess so uh i mean i i certainly enjoy being able to work with um other musicians and have that freedom i think that that's it. i mean it's essential these days i don't really know anybody doing like one thing or not many i mean it's typically people are part of two three things these days uh at at the very least Uh, it's just very hard to find something that can occupy 12 months out of your year so even if you're in a band that's doing well let's say you tour five months that year six months you get what are you supposed to do with the other six months yeah you know i mean so i think that it's just the that's the state of the music industry these days so um you know, I, people people back they they tend to complain about that these days. But I think a few years ago they could see this and they'd go, "Oh, I'd do anything to be able to hear George Lynch play with so and so, right?" Yeah, yeah, or that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's um, it, it it it's funny how people always. <laughs> they find a way to complain about these things when now, I mean, now I think now it is, it is what it is. Of course uh, that people do work together and, and, and collaborate. And I mean, I, I think it's cool myself, but I'm a musician. So I look at it differently than like the standard fan.
2: I guess, the, I guess, I think there's an illusion
6: of the fans that like the band, the bands are all like living together in a house and are all like, you know, it's us against the world kind of thing. But, I mean, that's kind of, you know, that's just not really the way it is.
2: I guess the one thing is that fans become suspicious of is that, is that if the quality suffers, you know, if you're doing, if you're involved in six different projects and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, that, that is the, that's the fear, I guess, of a fan, is that their favourite musician will get involved in so many <clears> projects <throat> and, and they'll feel that, that the quality will be diluted. Um, is that a realistic concern or is that is that not realistic?
6: I'd say that's not realistic. I mean, I I would never I would never phone in a, an effort on anything I'm doing ever. So, at least from my perspective, I would never do that. So, um I mean, it's that it, it's all part of your body of work that you're putting out there to the world. So, I don't, I, I think most musicians I know would not do that. They everybody's always going to put in their best effort on things. I mean, as far as I know. Maybe they that- <laughs> there's some very jaded people out there i don't know but i would never do that i mean i i, I look at it like you're it's you're putting out something that's going to define your your career or your body of work so you always want it to be the very best it can be
2: yeah let's have another song joe what can we play for the listeners what, what 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 can we play
6: yeah let's do finish line then <laughs>
0: Fever, going to land down under, going to turn around the corner way down yonder, (laughs) And I'm not even going to try to rhyme anymore. (laughs) Michael Monroe here for White Line Fever. You get a chance, come and check us out live. We're going to rock your socks off and whatever, rock like fuck, that's what I say, okay? (laughs) Come on down and rock on.